0: Good morning to all of you. We are glad you've chosen to worship with us today. Um, I'm Pastor Tim, the Executive Pastor, and last week I started a series, um, and that first message you can, if you didn't get to hear it, you can listen to on our website, but we're entitling this, this series, American Christianity. I introduced you to Eddie the Evangelist last week. And uh, the only reason I put his picture up there with his permission, by the way, is because in his left hand he is holding the American flag, which is a symbol of American, of, being, of America, and he also has in his hand a Bible, um, which is a symbol of Christianity. So therefore American Christianity, as I pointed out, though this, this series of messages isn't really about the flag, it's not really about America, except that we all live in America. What it is really about... It is trying to help us to see that we live in a free country and we live in a culture and in that culture we can be affected, that the evil one can use that culture to affect us to not do the things that we're supposed to do but to get caught up in the culture. So we're trying to, to say that we need to be on guard like Romans 12.2 says, do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world. We need to be on guard and we need to make sure that we aren't following after the things of the world or the culture but after the things... Of God, the first met, the first trait that we talked about last week was that you can't that American Christianity says you can reason your way into heaven, and obviously we taught last week that that is not possible and and um, again, if you'd like to hear that, you can look at that on the or you can see that on the website but today um, talking about reasoning your way into heaven last week we we went through uh, matthew seven twenty one to twenty three and we and we focused primarily on the evildoers that are there. And we pointed out that they talked about all the things they did and they were standing before the Lord trying to reason that because they did those things, um, they ought to be allowed into heaven. And of course, the Lord condemns them and says, away from me, you evildoers. I never knew you. And we also pointed out that they, those folks, those evildoers, you never hear anything about Jesus' death on the cross. You never hear them talking about accepting the Lord. Although, because they use the term Lord, Lord, the the what I what I put out there was the possibility that they might have done something that would have an appearance of praying a prayer, or accepting Jesus. Um, and Therefore, I want to talk this week about the prayer. American Christianity says you are saved by praying a prayer and a prayer only. That's all there is to it. I was sharing with one of our staff members and, uh, this week, and that staff member said, yeah, I know what you mean. It's like, it's like fire insurance. You just pray the prayer, and you go on, and you just do everything else. Well, that's what we want to talk about this week. So if you have your Bibles, would you open it to Matthew 7, 21 to 23? We want to read this these passages again, and last week we talked to them in great detail, today we're just going to jump off of them. Matthew 7, 21-23 says this, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers." And so these guys did something, but they were wrong. And praying that prayer, just praying the prayer, American Christianity says, you just pray the prayer and you'll be okay. There's something wrong with that. And so we want to talk about that, but as a point of illustration, I want to share with you about three guys. A pastor, a murderer, and a congregation member. All three I have had contact with. The pastor, um, I'll call him John, because for all I know he may still be in the area, but he was a pastor from from, uh, the church, our former church that my my wife and I went to, and the church we were saved in, and boy, I really looked up to him. Um, As a young believer, I thought, this is one of the most godly men I know. I had heard his testimony around um, a campfire at a youth camp, um, telling about how he, ex- how he had accepted Jesus. John did a lot of counseling in our church, and um, he one day was, uh, he was counseling a couple who were in a lot of trouble. The husband had left the wife and was going to file for divorce. John was counseling the, the wife one day and prayed with her at the end of the counseling session that God would stop the husband from filing divorce papers. The next day, the wife got the divorce papers in the mail. John was mad. He was mad at God. He couldn't understand why God didn't, didn't answer his prayer. Why didn't God give him what, what he asked for? He couldn't understand. Well, the couple divorced. As you can probably guess, John got involved with that wife. They committed adultery together. He was fired from the church. He later married that woman. He left his wife and his children who were also in our church. He married that other woman. He got involved heavily in alcohol, um, substance abuse. He did things to that other wife's, that other woman's children that I can't tell you about. But he totally and completely walked away from the things of the Lord. I saw him. I don't know, several years back, and he just looked terrible. I thought, what has happened to this man? He totally and completely walked away from the Lord. Well, what happened to his faith? What happened to his prayer? I don't know. But those are the kinds of things that give us fit sometimes. The second man's a murderer. I did not know him personally. I'll tell you his name, it's his real name, Sean Sellers. He was convicted and executed for committing three murders. Margie and I knew about the case, um, mainly because it was national news, but also because we went to church with Sean's aunt and uncles, and we were aunt and uncle, and we were friends with them. Because of our relationship with his aunt and uncle, we knew more about the story than was even reported in the news. In fact, Vonda, which would be Sean's mother, when he when Sean was very young, we were told by our friends that she walked into a bedroom and Sean's father had the baby raised up in his in his hands and he was dedicating his child to Satan. Well, obviously, Sean's dad and Vonda divorced, and Vonda married, remarried sometime later. I don't remember all the exact details, but what I do know is that at around 16 to 18 years old, Sean executed a convenience store clerk and he said that he did it just so he could experience what it was like to kill someone. Not, after, not long after um, he did that, he walked into his mom and stepdad's um, bedroom and executed them in their bed. There was a video, or actually a story written about this and a video made, and the video was called Stuck in a Nightmare. Sean, in that video, said that he thought the murders would please the one he worshiped because Sean was a self-proclaimed Satanist. He was obviously caught, incarcerated, and, his, and in his story, he tells about waking up from a nightmare because, see, when he was in prison, a chaplain started sharing with him, and that chaplain led him to the Lord. And Sean talks about waking up and like, doesn't even all, all, remember all the things that he did. But I remember seeing him um, interviewed on a, on a night show like Dateline or something like that and the interviewer was interviewing him, he was on this big, you know, um, TV screen because he was in prison, and I remember the interviewer asking him, Sean, do you believe you need to be executed for your crimes? Sean gave a wonderful testimony about how he had given his life to Jesus, but he said, "I should be executed because I killed three people." And I remember the forum afterwards where people were sharing, you know, and the news organization had different people sharing about what did they think about Sean and Sean, And, they, and what they said was, you know, oh, it's all an act. He's just doing that so that he won't, so that he won't um, be executed. But he was executed by lethal injection on February 4, 1999. Where is Sean today after all those heinous acts? What about his prayer? Is he with Jesus or was it all just an act? I don't know, but those kinds of things are what get us thinking about these kinds of issues and, and somewhat uh, create problems for us. And then there's a congregation member. I'll call him Joe. My wife and I went to church with him. Our church in those days were like many Baptist churches. After each service, there would be an altar call and the pastor would encourage people to come forward to accept Jesus or to rededicate their life. Um, As a young believer, I, I remember being really puzzled by the fact that Joe seemed to walk forward all the time. He was always very emotional. I mean, every time you turn around, Joe was up praying with one of the pastors. And of course, each time the pastor would share about you know, the decision that was made, and we'd be told that Joe just accepted the Lord or he rededicated his life to the Lord. I remember wondering what what was Joe doing wrong, Um, um, that he needed to keep coming forward. I was told it was just a one-time thing. And remember, a a young believer, I mean, did he continue to do it? to need to do that or what? Some people said he was just emotional and he just wanted everybody to see him. I, I don't know, but those are the kinds of things when we start talking about praying to receive Jesus, it's those situations that get us into trouble. There's some of the, these are some of the issues or dilemmas we run into when we factor down salvation to a prayer and a prayer only. It gets us into trouble and so I want to talk about that today. American Christianity says you're saved by a prayer Uh, by praying a prayer and that's all there is to it. I thought it was fascinating that Brian um, shared a a quote from J.D. Greer this morning, Stop Asking Jesus Into Your Heart. I have a quote from J.D. Greer as well. I didn't know Brian read the book, but it's a great little book. And here's what J.D. Greer says. Salvation is not a prayer you pray in a one-time ceremony and then move on from. Salvation is a a posture of repentance and faith that you begin in a moment and maintain for the rest of your life. He quotes a 2011 Barna study that shows that nearly half of all Americans have prayed such a prayer. Could you imagine if 50% of all Americans knew the Lord, what, what America would be like? He says, half of all adults in America have prayed such a prayer and subsequently believe they are going to heaven, though many of them rarely, if ever, attend a church, read a Bible, or do things that are consistent with knowing the Lord. Um, someone once said to me, and I don't remember who it was or I'd give him credit for it, but I wrote it down and he said this, so often in our churches today we talk about conversion when we should be talking about transformation. He said conversion without transformation isn't conversion at all. And these are the kinds of issues that I want to try to walk into with you today when we talk about this prayer. But before we go there and before you get into your notes... I want to give you two cautions, two things that I think we have to be very cautious with when we are thinking about theology or our stands on certain certain things. The first one is what I call stick figure theology. It's very dangerous. What what, What stick figure theology is is like you construct this situation. It's not a real person. It's like a stick figure and you go like, this person did this and then they did this and they did this, so would this be true about them? You know, we just make these things up and I'm telling you that's very dangerous when you start talking about, you know, you're not talking about real people, it's very dangerous, it gets us into trouble and we start reasoning, we fall in the trap of the first um, tenet of of American Christianity. And then the other caution I would give you, so be careful with stick figure theology, in fact I'd encourage you to stay away from it. The other is, um, I would caution you to stay away from the extremes. You need to understand in every theological um, stand that someone takes, there's extremes. The first one is license, and when it comes to praying the prayer, here's what the extreme would say. Just pray the prayer, you don't have to do anything else, you're good. In other words, everything's okay. That's dangerous and that's not always consistent with Scripture, so be careful with that. The other extreme is legalism, and legalism with the prayer goes like this. You pray the prayer, and then you need to do this, 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 and this, and there's all these rules and regulations laid out, and pretty soon you can't do any of it. That's the other extreme, and we need to be a little bit more in the mi- try to be a little bit more in the middle. And I, what I want to tell you is that there is more to the prayer than just what American Christianity says about praying a prayer. There's more to it than just the prayer. To help us to understand with that, I'm, understand this, I'm going to share with you... Three Ps in the prayer. The first P is this, the prayer, (laughs) the prayer. When we talk about praying and receiving Jesus, if someone truly does that, I have isolated at least four things that are a part of that. And here's the four things I've come up with. The first one is a recognition of sin. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This is the first passage I can remember as an unbeliever um, hearing, and actually it made sense to me. It was being shared by the, the pastor with my wife and I when he was, um, when we were in our living room on a Monday night in early September, the first night of dove season, because I had dove feathers and blood all over me, and he was sharing with me that I was a sinner, and it made sense to me that I was a sinner. How many times, and, and, as a, and as, as that night... You know, I didn't understand all the theology behind that short little passage. I just knew that I was a sinner. How many times, I mentioned last week, how many times I have heard people say, and this is like their reason that they should get into heaven, I guess, but I'm a a good person. Listen if someone says, I'm a good person, they don't understand what Scripture says because when you match yourself up to a holy God, you fall short and Scripture teaches that. Romans 3 10 to 18 says, as it is written, I'm not gonna read it all, I'm just gonna read a portion of it. There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. The Scriptures teach that we aren't good. And so we need to understand that we are a sinner. When we are born by the way, The scriptures teach that we are infected by sin the moment we are born. In the the excitement of that new birth, maybe you've been in the hospital, when that little baby comes into the world, that baby is infected by sin according to the scriptures. 1 Corinthians 15, 21 and 22 says, For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also through a man. For as in Adam all die." in Christ, all will be made alive. And we'll talk more about uh, Christ in a moment, but when we are born, we are born in Adam. And we have what the Scriptures call a sin nature. Galatians 5, 16 to 17 says, So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of a sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. Ephesians 2, 1 to 3 says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sin. When you are born, you are born dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world, so on and so forth. And it's hard to believe when you see a little child that you can even think that they're sinners or that they have a sin nature. I mean, they can just be the cutest thing in the whole wide world. Last week we were at the coast and our daughter Nikki posted a, a, a video of Ellie, our, one of our granddaughters, reciting the, the Pledge of Allegiance. I just thought it was the cutest thing in the whole wide world. I just… I was sitting there, I just watched it over and over and over. And it's hard to believe she can have a sin nature until you see her go, no, mama. You can't make me do that. Do you want to go to timeout? I'm going to go to timeout. And you see that with a little kid that can't even talk when they're pitching a fit in the grocery store and you're so embarrassed. It's called the sin nature and we all have it. We need to recognize, we need to have a recognition of sin. And then when we have a recognition of sin, we need to have a realization of one's inability to do anything about it. There's nothing that we can do about it. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death, and there's nothing we can do about that. Ephesians 2.8-9 which we quote often says, it is, it, for it is by grace you are saved through faith and this not of yourselves. It's not by works so that no one can boast. There's no way to get out of our sin. It's, it's two different attitudes. When it comes to, to sin, there's two different attitudes in people and Jesus gives us a great uh, says, tells us a great parable about what these two different attitudes. It's recorded in Luke chapter 18, verses 9 to 14. He tells this parable um, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and who were looking down on people. And so Jesus says this, Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men. robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like that tax collector. I fast twice a week, I give a tenth of all I got, but the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and said, God have mercy on me a sinner. I tell you that this man, Jesus says, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. In Matthew chapter 9 verses 35 to 36, Jesus is, it talks about Jesus um, going through the towns and villages, um, teaching in the synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing diseases and sickness, and then it says, when he saw the crowds… He had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Sheep without a shepherd are lost. They they get lost and they are uh, at risk. They are helpless without the shepherd. We are lost in our sins without any way of getting out of it, and we need the shepherd. And then there's a recognition that only Jesus' death and resurrection on the cross can save. The Bible says in Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It is only once one realizes that they are lost and they have no way out that they see a need for the Savior. I have often wondered, um, what caused me who had no desire for the things of God to all of a sudden recognize that I was lost and needed a savior. I have become a lover of theology and I know the different views on this, but I just want you to know, I don't care. All I know is is that it's the grace of God that we would call out to Him and that's what we need to hang on to. The recognition, this recognition is truly nothing more than the grace of God. And then finally, Once all this happens, someone accepts Jesus as their Lord and Savior. When one is willing to admit that they are a sinner, that there is nothing they can do to get out of their sin, and they realize that God, Jesus Christ, died on the cross for their sins, they give in and they confess. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says that if you would confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with, and hear this... Because I think we often just go right past it. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. And the reason I point that out is because I've laid out a little bit of a system here, and we like systems, but I need you to know when someone gives their life to Jesus, it's, it's, not, it's not always, it doesn't have to be one, two, three, four. Sometimes people just recognize they're a sinner and they say, Forgive me, Lord. The Lord knows their heart. It's not about the prayer or the words. It's about what goes on in the heart. And when that happens, they are saved. And when that happens, it leads us to our second P. There's a product. This is, I don't really like the P's I've come up with. I just tried to come up with three P's because that's what pastors do. But when I say product, what I'm saying is when someone truly gives their life to Christ, there is something that immediately happens. The Bible says you receive the Holy Spirit immediately. First Corinthians 3.16 says, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit lives in you? 2 Corinthians 1.21-22 says, now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anoints us, He set His seal of ownership on us and put His Spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. This is what we call conversion when when the Holy Spirit comes to live within you. Someone said it's it's a radical turn from an enslaved life of pursuing sin to a free life of pursuing and worshiping God and that naturally happens because you have the Holy Spirit living within you. And then all the things I'll say after this are just synonymous with you receive the Holy Spirit. The Bible says you become a new creation in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5:17 says therefore if anyone is in Christ he is a new creation the old is gone the new has come the tim who had no desire for the things of god once he gave his life to the lord holy spirit came to live within him just like with you that tim is a different tim than that tim back in those days because he is a new creation as are you if you've given your life to jesus christ it's a complete change of life not merely a decision It is not accomplished by outward display, or religious practice, or walking an aisle. It cannot be accomplished by human effort, but only by the power of God. The Bible says when you give your life to Jesus, the seed of God is placed in you. The word for seed there is sperma, where we get the word sperm, the seed of the man. God's seed is put within you so that you begin to be like Him. No one who is born of God, 1 John 3, 9, and 10 says, will continue to sin because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning because he is born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God, nor is anyone who does not love his brother. And then finally, this causes you to think, act, feel, and perceive things differently. I love 1st Corinthians 2, 9 to 12. However as it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love Him. But God has revealed it to us by His Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men know the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. We have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us." When the Holy Spirit comes to live within you, you perceive things totally differently. You begin, the, the, everything about the Lord begins to make sense. Galatians 5:22 to 25 talks about the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And these things begin to come out of a person's life. And so that happens at the moment you give your life to Christ. And then we go to the third P, and the third P is proof. And what I mean by that is the Scriptures lay out things that a believer naturally do. In a sense, it proves that they are believers and that they have the Holy Spirit living within them. Now I want to give you another caution. Uh, Before I share any of these with you, let me say that these proofs I don't think should ever be used to evaluate the eternal destiny of another. We spend far too much time talking about what other people are doing or not doing. The eternal destiny of a person is only to be determined by the Lord and the Lord Himself because it's only the Lord who knows the heart of the person, we don't. And so we need to be careful with this. And so often, we spend so much time looking at what other people are not doing, we don't pay attention to what we're not doing. And so I offer these to you as more of kind of a self-assessment tool on yourself. Believers have a natural desire to walk in the light rather than in the darkness. First John 1, 6 and 7 says, if we claim to have fellowship with him yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son purifies us from all sin. Now by the way, just cause you have a natural desire to do it does not mean you always do it. We still have a sin nature that we are going to battle against until we go to be with the Lord. But because the Holy Spirit lives within us, our desire is to walk in the light and we we work to stay away from the things of the darkness. Our interests are centered on the things of God rather than on the things of the world. And by the way, the person that says, you know, tell someone, give your life to Jesus and everything's going to be okay, does not understand Scripture. We should not tell people that, because I'll tell you what, when you give your life to Jesus, and I know you guys, I know many of you can, can understand this, when you live in a world infected by sin, you're always going to be a little bit uncomfortable living in that world. So you're going to live in it, when you give your life to Jesus, you're going to live in, a, in kind of a constant state of uncomfortableness. And that's proof that you know the Lord, by the way. Believers have a natural love for God, the Father, and a corresponding hate for the world. 1 John 2.15 says, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now hear me on this, it is so easy to let our guard down and get caught up in the things of the world. It happens all the time. We may have a natural love for God the Father, but we let our guard down and sometimes we embrace the things of the world. I'll give you an example. There was a book that was written, I don't remember exactly when it was written, I just remember a lot of people read it. Especially ladies. Girls ate this book up. Well that book was made into a movie. And I watched as everybody wanted to go see this movie, especially the ladies. Um, i didn 't go see the movie by the way i 've seen a lot of movies i didn 't want to see so that i could so that I could speak intelligently about them but after reading the review i just couldn 't go see it honestly after reading the view, review, I thought why would a, why would any of the ladies want to see this movie because of how the female characters is treated in the movie? I want to read you a portion of a review from plugged in plugged in is a is a um, Uh, part of focus on the family and you can actually get an an app from Plugged In on your phone and you can read about movies. I would encourage you to do that. Here's what the the review said. By the way, Plugged In I think does a great job. They don't just nail everything. They try to give it a really fair reading. I mean a really fair, they try to point out good things and bad things and they don't just condemn everything. It's a great review um, system. Here's what Plugged In said about this movie. There is not a thing about this movie that's worthy or respectable. I've never heard them say that before. And there's a lot about this movie that can't and shouldn't even be mentioned here. We will say this much, Anna who is a virgin when the story starts spends large quantities of screen time without her clothes on. Christian trades in his gray suit for his birthday suit quite often as well. And then it goes on and there's things I didn't feel comfortable reading in a mixed audience as this but I did, I did get this. And all that goes on between the main characters are divorced from any sort of love and intimacy. Folks, do I think people went and saw this movie who knew the Lord lost their salvation? No, because I don't believe you can lose your salvation. But I think we let our guard down and when are we ever gonna understand that people watch us? How are we gonna ever share the gospel with people if we're no different than the rest of the world? Believers have a natural love for other Christians. 1 John 3, 14 and 15 says, We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer and you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. John 13, 34 and 35 says, A new command I give you, love one another so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. When, when, we, become, when we have the Holy Spirit come to live within us, we naturally have a love for other believers. We want to be around them. And the Bible teaches us that we need to be careful how we treat one another because other people see us. And if we treat every, if we treat our brothers wrong, why would someone in the world want to be a part of the Kingdom of God? It's important that we love one another. We give each other the benefit of the doubt. We think the best of one another. And being around unbel- I mean, being around believers is good for us because we help one another to navigate the Christian life in a world infected by sin. We need one another. Now, believers, as believers, that doesn't mean we shouldn't be around unbelievers. We should be around unbelievers. We are to be in the world, but not of the world. How could we ever witness to them if we're not around them? But would it surprise you to know that I've heard some believers say they actually don't like being around believers. They'd rather be around unbelievers. I catch myself wondering why. Well, I think it's because... The believer likes what the unbelievers are doing. I mean, I'm just guessing. But I mean, think about it. If you have a party, and you really want a party, you don't ask the pastor to come. You don't ask your strong Christian friends to come. Why? Because you're afraid you're going to be convicted, or they're going to talk to you. We need to think about these things. And we need to be around believers and grow and hold one another accountable. Now, this might actually give you a little peace after the last two I just gave you. Do you know that believers naturally struggle with sin? Let me let me read a couple of passages to you, and then I'll explain it. We already read 1 John 3, 9 to 10, no one who is born of God will continue to sin because of God's seed in him. We always like to quote 1 John 1, 9, if you will confess your sins, He is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. But what we do is we forget verse 8 and verse 10. Verse 8 says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us verse 10 says after talking about confessing your sins if we claim we have not sinned we make him out to be a liar and his word has no place in our lives when I say we struggle with sin because the Holy Spirit lives within us we're not comfortable when we sin and when we have sin in our life so we naturally are moved to get away from it we should struggle with sin we should struggle with sin in our own lives so often what we want to do is we uh, It's kind of a a process to to help us with it. We want to justify it away. That's not going to help you. You're going to continue to feel guilty. The best thing to do is to deal with it and get it out of your life. Confess it to God. Agree with Him that, that He's right and repent. So we struggle. Believers naturally struggle with sin. Believers naturally glorify the Lord by their good works. Again, we often read Ephesians 2, 8 through Ten, but we neglect, I mean, two and nine, but we neglect ten. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of yourselves. Um, It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And then it says, because this happens after you've given your life to Jesus, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. When we have the Holy Spirit within us, obviously we want to tell others, we want to serve others, we want to be like our Savior who came to the world not to be served, but to serve and give His life as a ransom for many. We want to tell others about Jesus, we want to do everything we can to expand the Kingdom. I'll give you an example where we get a little off track sometimes. It's very easy to sit and do nothing. But the Bible says we ought to be glorifying God with good works. Do you know? that all our children's Sunday schools and wanna programs are staffed by volunteers? Do you know that some churches who probably have more money than we do pay to have that taken care of? Um, we don't have the money, and I'm not saying that a church is wrong if they do that, but we really, we, we really want people who are there because they want to be with the kids and we want to give them the opportunity to serve. That's what we want to do. Did you know that each Sunday in our church, it takes 10 or more volunteers to staff our nursery? Did you know as well that it takes another 45 each week to teach the Scriptures to two-year-olds through sixth graders? Did you also know, and you do if you've been in our church very long, that every year we struggle to get people to fill those holes? Every year. Did you know, and I just know this to be true, did you know that most of the ones that aren't already serving will hear what I say right now, and they'll think someone else will do it? Or they'll reason why they can't do it? Listen, as believers, we need to get involved and start serving. Did you know that James says, what good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes or daily food, and I'll paraphrase, suppose a little kid has never heard the Scriptures. If one of you says, go, I wish you well. Keep warm and be well fed, but does nothing about those physical needs, what good is it? Believers glorify the Lord by getting involved in doing good works and sharing the gospel. I want to encourage you to go out and see Kathleen after the message today. And finally, ber- <laughs> finally, believers persevere in the faith. They keep, on, they keep on doing the work of God. They don't walk away. 1 John 2.19 says, they went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. <clears throat> the question will come up and it's been posed to me already and that is this can someone lose their salvation once you pray that prayer can you lose your salvation i remember that question being posed to our senior pastor pastor john when he candidated here at the church fifteen some odd years ago and he was asked the question pastor john do you believe that you can lose your salvation. That was a hot topic back when he was candidating here. We would hear it all the time. I will never forget his answer. His answer was no. He thought very, he, he as only John can do when he was asked the question. He thought before he responded, and he said no. And then he used two words: "In Christ." And I knew exactly what he was saying. If someone is in Christ, they can never lose that. John chapter 10, Jesus says, I know my sheep and my sheep know me and no one can snatch them out of my hand. I hope this morning you have been encouraged that as believers we need to live our lives for Christ. Would you please stand? Let's pray together and after I pray, there'll be a few leaders up front if you'd like to come up and Talk with someone. If you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, we would encourage you to come up and do that now. If you need to pray with someone, we'll be here. Let me pray for us. Father, we are grateful for this day for the opportunity to have life. We know, Lord, that life is not, physical life is not a given, and it will be taken away from us at some point, and we will be with you. Thank you that we have this opportunity to be a part of your kingdom and to share your gospel with the world. I pray that you would encourage us in that today, Lord. It's good that we're here in the house of God, in your house, Lord, but it's better, Lord. I know you know this, that we go out and live our lives for you outside those doors, and I pray that you would help us to do that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless you all.